0: For me, the main issue, the main question which comes in my mind every time the word multiculturalism is said is that how much are we willing to concede in the name of coexistence? Because multiculturalism seems to have become a euphemism today for forceful absorption or alteration of their values to confirm with our values
1: true 100% true it it uh, it walks along the very fine line that how much are you willing to give up your 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 culture your identity and your norms and traditions to make the outsiders or make the newcomers feel comfortable
0: and it's both ways it's a dual-edged sword isn't it
1: it is but uh uh In my observation, it's the horse that always loses. Mm -hmm. Well, most of the time.
0: If we look at it historically from a historical perspective, what it really is, is that I guess what we call the left wing or the liberals in one sense, they... Are the ones who sort of, I guess, engineer and manufacture a definition of multiculturalism as being utopian? That everyone and everything is perfect. Their values are perfect, our values are perfect, we can coexist. But in reality, there is actually a lot of friction between various peoples, isn't there?
1: Well, uh, there is, but to hope that people can coexist together. And uh, the re- the
0: reality, these two are very different things. Yep, and if you look at it back in the 20th century, just after World War II, it was a American political scientist. I can't remember his name now. Who actually pointed out that there will be sporadic clashes between the West and the East over the issue of religion? What he really meant was a you know, the Arabs and the Americans until it would engulf the war in a cataclysmic war, and we're actually seeing that battle isn't it, aren't we? The war on terror terror and its corollaries which have actually you know, lead to xenophobia Islamophobia and quite a lot of other, you know, racist and phobic elements but all these have affected our daily lives because on each, in each and every country on each and every mind of citizens in various countries it really has become an issue that can we exist with the others
1: well you and i both have experience of living in other countries yeah yes so uh i actually used to uh, mow the lawn of a second world war veteran yep and uh, I I would just usually, uh, you know, talk to him about the old times and stuff. Because for me, it was a new country, new people, new culture. I was trying to understand them.
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: And of course, he will sometimes give me fruits from his garden. So there were were quite a few incentives to spend uh, 20 minutes a week or maybe bi-weekly. And uh, what he told me about New Zealand as a country... Fifty years ago, yep. You can't believe it's the same place. It's the same country. Mm. There were the population was very small. There was just one culture. And there was the English culture. Yep. At the, at that time, Maoris were not given that much important importance. Yep. And he said everybody were the same. Mm. They were all equally poor
2: hmm.
1: and they, they all had, uh, how do we say, a sense of community that we are all together. So wherever you went, you knew that uh, this person belongs to the same culture as me, speaks the same language, has the same values, and he's just like me, except he lives in a different geographic region. That's it. Yep. But today, you can go from one, one suburb to the other suburb and uh, it's, it's totally different. You have one suburb full of Indians, the other suburb full of, let's say, Samoans, and you can go, there are Tongans over there, then you have the Filipinos over there, then you have the Chinese over there. Mm-hmm. So this, this is the, the reality today. So so for that old person to navigate this new world is nearly impossible. Mm. He, he, cannot, he can't go over there and uh, talk to... Uh, let's say, a, a Fijian Muslim woman, he can't. Hmm.
2: In,
1: in the old ways, he was, he was like, you're a human being, I'm a human being, we're just talking. But now hmm. the culture has changed. Now she, uh, they can say, well, I don't want to talk to you.
2: Hmm.
1: Hmm. It's a cultural shock. So why? I'm a human being, I just want to talk to you. Hmm. This, this is a very small example. And the bigger examples are, are the loss of your own culture. And then uh, the cultural pollution. That's the word I use. Yep. Th- things that didn't exist before now are being imposed on you because, well, you you and you and I both know that all the meat in Australia and New Zealand is halal. Yep. So that's something that that has been imposed on you without taking a, a referendum or something. If you don't want to eat religiously slaughtered meat, you have to find it yourself, and that's quite hard. Hmm.
0: Mm. And I guess that's where another aspect comes in: is that uh, multiculturalism. Now we say coexistence, but someone somewhere along the way must have woken up and realized that not all sets of values can coexist without friction. Now, take for example us Sikhs. We we have discussed this countless times. You know. A long, I think a few years back there was a bit of a promotion that Sikh values are American values and there was a backlash from the community globally. And I guess the backlash manifested quite openly because there was a picture of Guru Nanak Devji in which his turban was altered to uh, reflect stars and stripes. And quite a lot of people felt that this was appropriating the Guru for patriotic, uh, I guess, and Sikh patriotism isn't really one of the fundamental values of our faith. And there was quite a lot of articles where Sikh values are not American values and all that. But I guess there were only a few people who actually sat down and said, well, look, we all have different sets of values. But a majority of, of, of our Sikh values ma- correspond with the American emphasis on, you know, human dignity, freedom of speech, etc., etc. The few which can cause friction are usually balanced out by both sides to the degree that while there are individual incidents of race, racism, there isn't anything so fundamentally conspicuous as, you know, someone getting up in a gurdwara and lambasting the American government or vice versa that sort of provokes or instigates the community against you know the government or the government against the community there isn't anything like that where there is a sort of that impression of a civil war that said however and i guess this is where sikhs today the sikh youth and the west have to realize something for many individuals now globally multiculturalism means concession that if they are coming over to live with us they need to concede their culture and their values I guess this is not a black and white issue, it's a grey issue, and there might be values in other cultures, other faiths which might, you know, need to be conceded. Now, you know, the West doesn't really tolerate polygamy, does it? It does? To a degree it does, but I don't think that fundamentally speaking it can be said to be a constitutional right, that polygamy is a constitutional right. Nor does... uh... Yep. Yep.
1: Oh, okay, sorry for interrupting.
0: Yep.
1: In the UK, it's very common.
0: For a certain group, it is.
1: Well, because uh, simply, well, then we will start talking about things that, that are not politically politically correct, but we both know what we're talking about. <laughs> yep. it, is, it is very prevalent, and, and there is no, there is no how do you say, uh, there's no legal bandage on that. Polygamy yep. is present, it's, it's been practiced, needs be back in, in Australia.
0: Hmm. And I guess this is where some people will turn around and say, well, look, we, we accept women to be equal to men. So if a man can have multiple wives, why can't a woman have multiple husbands? And obviously this is just a frictional conflict waiting to transpire in the future. But... Would it have been too much for someone to sit down and analyze whether there is actually a value worth having in the country or whether it's a value that needs to be scrapped altogether?
1: Well well, the question is pertinent, but you have to remember the the very moment a person let's say an Australian yep. starts questioning a foreign culture, he'd be straight away stamped racist
0: hmm and so we, we if, have that if, as if, well. Yep.
1: Yeah, of course we have, have that as well. This is called uh, self-hatred. Mm. So the question on polygamy could be, okay, they are consenting adults if they want to live in a polygamous relationship, it's up to them, yeah. Yep. So this could be also uh, a, a point of approach.
2: Mm.
1: Some individuals choosing to live a, in a polygamous relationship. So who are we to tell them it's it's not possible or it's illegal? Yep. And then the thing is, it's a foreign culture. These things happen in their country. These things don't happen in our country.
0: Yep. I mean, what is the concession being made if there are, well, I guess, what is the concession for polygamy? Is each wife treated equally? Do they get an equal share of their husband's property? What if he can't actually spot three wives and he's actually only doing this out of cultural norms? And these are questions which need to be considered in advance.
1: Well, they need to be, but it's not possible for that because the the R word, the racist word, is very, very, very dangerous for a person who is white.
0: And I guess even for a Sikh person. Well,
1: well, Sikh person, because we have been just drilled into head that uh,
0: everybody
1: is equal. Well, that's just not true. Individuals are equal, cultures are not. Yep. So, so uh, uh, the, uh, uh, this word for Gurbani is just to say there is no high caste, there's no low caste, everybody's equal. Yep. It does not say all cultures are equal or people in the sense of their culture background are, are the same. Because the, the same Gurbani also says Hindu anna not Turkakana. Yep. So in this, in this sense, depending on how much self-hatred you have in your heart, you will support multiculturalism and uh, you, you won't dare question other cultures because that's offensive.
0: And one of the things which Barack Obama pointed out a while back while he was still president is that freedom of religion should also entail freedom from religion, that atheists and religious people can coexist together unilaterally Rather than, well, yes, that's the thing, it's not possible, but I guess it makes sense rationally, because really, like if individuals are equal, and I guess that brings us back to another point, Guru Nanak Dev Ji established Kartarpur, and the Gurus all established cities, villages, you know, gathering spots during their lifetimes. Now, let's just imagine Guru Nanak Dev Ji, he's established Kartarpur, He's invited people from all over the subcontinent to come and settle at his city. And a few Hindus and Muslims arrive and they say, Well, Guru Nanak Devji, it's all, you know, good. You're set up down here, we want to live here. But hey, we Hindus believe in caste. And we can't tolerate sitting next to, you know, the lower castes. And the Muslims say, Well, we like the setup down here, it's democratic. But on the basis of Sharia being divine law, can we have that as Gartarpur's entire law? Can we implement it for all the Muslims, if not for everyone here? Would Guru Nanak Devji have accepted that?
1: Absolutely not.
0: No, he wouldn't have. And he would have said that, look, we go off hukam, we go off the divine attributes visible in creation. They do not discriminate. We will not discriminate.
1: Well, this raises another question from my side to you. Yep. We chose to immigrate to it. Hmm. Do we have any right, sp- speaking theoretically, to tell them we want to live this way in your country and you, uh, you can't oppose us?
0: Well, like we discussed in the saki and Shasters episode, that there is... There are elements which allow us to lobby. You know, for example, we say we want to wear the kirpan and they say, right, you can wear the kirpan, but please wear it under your clothes. I guess the problem really becomes when we started using that privilege, you know, a few years back in Australia, I think um, a Nihang leader came from India and uh, some of the younger kids down there, obviously, uh, in the Gurdwara parking, were brandishing about their guns. You know, these were not loaded guns anyway. That someone rang the police and the police came along and the confusion was cleared up and they were told that if you have firearms, do it inside the Gurdwara. But there were lots of comments being made on social media that, hey, this is our culture, this is our faith, you know, we're Guru Gobind Singh Ji's pods, you can't do this to us, you can't do that to us. Well, I mean, the thing is that that's the problem when you, when you try causing friction to have your own way rather than coexisting on the same level principally.
1: Well, that is the issue because uh, you and I both have relatives who, ha- who have been overseas for decades, yeah? Yep. And the next generation is lost, guaranteed lost. Mm. can't speak the language, they don't understand the culture, they are just coconuts, brown outside, white inside.
0: <laughs> and
1: so, on... in, in this sense, the total loss of your heritage and the generation, this is the point we need to discuss.
0: Yep. And that happens because I guess the people who emphasize multiculturalism, there will be many among them who will decide that multiculturalism entails a concession rather than a coexistence. Now, of course, I know in India there are many leaders who will say, look at the Western world when people protest, they do it peacefully. Why can't we do it like them? And then there are many people in India who will shout, oh, wait a second, you're trying to impose Western values on us. They're just giving an example that you know we can sort of reflect the pacifism, pacific, uh, peaceful protests which happen elsewhere in the world. No one is really saying that you need to become you know Westernized in the sense that you adopt Western values because, I mean, peaceful protests—they're everyone's value. They're universal, to be honest. And (laughs) the question down here is: that is it like a specifically a sequel? You do have aggressive protests. Anyhow, on the issue of concession and coexistence, like you were saying, the loss of heritage, that really fundamentally comes down to individual choice, but individual choice which has ripple effects on the next generation.
1: Uh, well, uh, I would say if, if your child is born in Australia or America or Canada today, hmm. they will identify as non-Indian. Yep. So that's, that's step one. Yep there is a very big chance they won't be able to speak the language fluently, even if you speak Punjabi at home. Yep. And then the next generation would be totally away from you. Yep. They won't speak the language, they won't understand their culture, they won't understand the, the traditions, and they would have zero respect for the homeland.
2: Mm-hmm. So in this
1: sense, I, ha- I have seen people coming back after, let's say, 40, 50 years, Yep, and bring, bringing like their, their grandkids with them.
0: Yep,
1: but the grandkids are more more interested in just passing time and just going back home because this is not home for them.
0: Hmm. And this so was a very are, very uh, so, issue. Which, yes.
1: Yeah. So sorry. So yep. they are no longer Sikhs because uh, they are liberals. Yep. They are no longer Punjabi because they have zero connection to the land or the culture. Yep. And they are just hanging between two civilizations. They are not white, so they can't become part of that civilization. And they are not Indians because they have no connection to this land anymore.
0: Strangers at home and abroad. Both ways. Both ways. And this was the very same situation which the Jews confronted prior to Israel being formed. And... uh, I was reading a book on Theodor Herzl, who was the who's said to be the intellectual father of Zionism. And Herzl pointed out that, you know, a Jew, <clears throat> based on his parents' heritage or her parents' heritage, a Jew can be a Russian Jew, German Jew, Baltic Jew, French Jew, English Jew. But a Jew could not be a Judaic Jew in the sense that they have their heritage, which they're practicing because they have conceded so much in the name of coexistence. They've been forced to concede so much in the name of coexistence that their own heritage eludes them. And that was his primary motive for setting up Zionism. The state, the territorial issues came later. The first was to restore the Judaic spirit, because if you look at it from a religious perspective, we seek, believe, security to be the divine truth. So why will we not fight to preserve it at home and abroad? But, and this is where things are going to get quite, uh, I guess, politically incorrect. For some reason, us Sikhs, we have actually started believing that coexistence really entails concession, doesn't it? And this is an issue we both discussed a while back now, Gurbani translations online. Have you realized that 99% of them are pretty much pure a pure antithesis of what Gurbani actually says.
1: Well, it's the modern interpretation, I would say, I would use that word.
0: Yep, and these translations are all done in the name of multiculturalism, except that English is very different to the Gurmukhi, and I'll give you a very classical example. Anga 141 of Gurbani now: how to be a true Muslim, That entire line in English runs, you know, how to be a true Muslim, and it says by severing the religion or the faith of the Prophet Muhammad as being sweet. The Gurmukhi has no mention of Prophet, no mention of Muhammad. The Gurmukhi is disparaging pretty much the focus on Namaj and all the other fundamentals of the Islamic faith, saying that to be a true Muslim, you need to let go of Sharia, you need to let go of Namaj, you need to let go of fasting, and accept the primal deen, the real faith of Hukam, the natural order as being true. And then you will have five prayers of pity, mercy, uh, integrity, honesty, etc. etc. And then you will be a true Muslim in the eyes of a Qalpurk, because you would have surrendered yourself to a qalburk. That is a true Muslim. But in the name of multiculturalism, our translation seems to be saying, Well, wait a second, if you're a Muslim, just be a Muslim. Of you know your ancestral faith, and I'm guessing the fact here that if this was what the trend, if this was what that Shabbat actually meant, Jahagir would not have told Guru Arjan Devji to include praise, uh, verses in the praise of Prophet Muhammad and the Guru Granth Sahib. he would have been satisfied at this alone. True, and then the multiculturalism. Well, I mean. Multiculturalism isn't a bad word as long as it entails coexistence, acceptance, and tolerance. But now that it's become concession, look at the other shabad, Kabir shabad, Ved Kateb Mat Kahojute. Don't call the Bible and the Vedas false. Kabir could if he had wanted to say that Kabir would have written Ved Kateb na kahojute. Mat mat means intelligence. What he's actually saying is that the Vedas and the Bible, the Snatan in the Abrahamic books deride human mat, the human intelligence, as being false. But false are they who do not contemplate the reality with their intelligence. And we have a whole alternative translation here, which doesn't make sense. But hey, it's being pushed in the name of multiculturalism. And then people are beginning to question Gurbani, saying, well, Kabir says these scriptures are lying on page one. And then suddenly, on so-and-so page, he's saying, don't call them false. What's happening down here? And how are we going to explain this to future generations? They will be even more confused as to what is their true heritage.
1: You, you have to remember that people who are translating Gurbani are business people. Religion is their business. Hmm. Unfortunately, that's the way it is. They just are, they're just concerned about making money, and that's an that's a excellent career choice. You don't have to mm-hmm. do a hard work. You just have to sit in front of some people and lecture for like a couple of hours, and there you go, you made $2,000.
0: <laughs> and quite surprisingly, now when we look at multiculturalism, they will, people will say, look, there is guidance here for Hindus, there's guidance here for Muslims, but suddenly there seems to be no guidance here for Sikhs at all. And it's all done to promote Sikhi under the name of multiculturalism, but it's all pretty much a euphemism for saying concede Sikhi and accept something altogether alternative, something else.
1: Well, I think uh, we were talking about this point that uh, how Sikhi has been projected as a leftist belief system.
0: Yes, I guess leftist with all the negative connotations attached to leftist
1: it's it's all about tolerance it's all about acceptance it's all about uh, helping people it's all it's all about langar yep <laughs> but uh, i simply don't understand that why would you waste money on on people who have actually given up on life hmm mm. so so if we can go to a foreign country and become successful we mm. we are just and you go over there and you organize longer. So this is a very tough point to digest. Yep. Are you not creating a class of dependents that they know that my food is guaranteed over there? I don't need to improve myself. I don't need to find a job. I don't don't need to work. I will just go over there and stand in the line and eat some longer and that's it. So are we not creating a class of dependents?
0: We are, we are.
1: it's the same thing with the welfare state. Mm. So from a from a political perspective, you have to look from the point of the state of uh, our, uh, our, our our Sikh theology. Yep. Because if you go to Delhi, well, you must mm. have been Delhi, yep. the people eating Langur over there are 90% non-Sikh. Yep. They are just in there for free food, and that's it.
0: Hmm.
1: So if, if if you were to close language today for, let's say, one month, yep. all your goodwill will be empty. Mm. So in this case, there is a culture in the Western world which provides free food to everybody. So for mm. how long will it continue?
0: If you look at it, uh... Let's just call it the welfare system. Lunger has been made into a facet of the welfare system where Lunger was supposed to be more. The food was just a helping hand, just to you know stand you up until you could stand up on your own two feet. The sustenance was for that matter, and it was given equality, equally to everyone. What it's been made into now is pretty much a political statement. If you look at it in uh, Western countries, politicians come and have Lunger, they'll probably get the votes. In India, it's sort of become a fashion statement. You know, look, we did langar, we did langar, but essentially, at the end of the day, the very purpose behind langar, the deeper, the profound meaning, has been ignored for so long that no one now knows what it is. And Gurbani says, "Get Gyan and become independent." Except we aren't making people independent through langar, are we? No,
1: nope. independent. Hmm. And also, also, you have to remember that back in the days, if, if somebody traveled to see the gurus or talk to them or maybe visit them, yep, it was not possible for them to bring their own food.
0: Yes, yes.
1: So if, if you were traveling on, on foot for, let's say, 40 miles, let's say, yep, you, you were going to be very hungry and you, you were going to be thirsty. So there were no hotels or so-called uh, delivery services back then. Hmm. So you, you would go over there. You will have some food. You will regain your energy, and you can properly focus on what the guru is saying. Mm. And all and from the other perspective, everybody from all castes sat on the ground and ate food with each other. Yep. So it was um, more of a destroying the old caste system.
0: One but thing now, which but
1: now to be... today both of these things are not relevant.
0: No. One thing which needs to be pointed out here is that when we come to langur now before Guru Nanak, there was a langur of sorts in Hindu temples and uh, Sufi, uh, I guess, mosques. But fundamental difference being that if you were inside for the Sufis, all castes could sit together inside and eat equally. Outside the mosque, the discrimination started again. This wasn't in Sikhi. You were equal in front of the Guru. You were equal when you were not in front of the Guru physically. Secondly, in Hindu temples, only people who worshipped the installed, then relevant deity, I guess, they were considered as being equal and able to eat the food together. And then yep. we had the issue of the low-castes. If they came in and had langar outside the temple, it was all back, all reversion to the caste status. Except in Sikhi's langar, it was a sign, a stepping stone towards equality. That equality is no more in Sikhi, is there? Now we have caste-based langars, caste-based Gurdwaras. Everything has principally been regressed by Sikhs themselves.
1: Well, uh, ourselves too, and there have been some other factors too, because uh, people from the so-called lower caste will willingly go to, go to the state and say, give us a certificate that we are lower caste, we will get discounts and the reservation and stuff. So people now have an incentive to declare themselves to be of lower cost, local, local. So mm-hmm. in this in this case, you have to understand that the world has changed and we can't just continue a tradition just because it's a tradition that used to be there 500 years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. We need to alter it and upgrade it for the modern period. Now, we say longer is solely restricted to food, but... If There is someone giving free medicinal aid to someone, isn't that longer?
1: It is, there should be a longer of knowledge, I would say.
0: Hmm. And Gyan Padarat, the wisdom of uh, the food of wisdom, that's another aspect. And Sikhi is even saying a uh, longer of knowledge, but unfortunately, we have just codified it to the base level, we have never gone to the profound implications of what all these practices entailed for us
1: well that is true uh, time and again we arrive at this point that, that there needs to be a revival or reform in tiki. and that's that's especially since today we have spread all over the world so there's mm. there, there's got to be some common binding factor. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you one example. I, I've seen a video on YouTube. There yep. were Sikhs in Argentina, yeah? Yep. So the new generation had uh, Argentine names of Spanish origin. Yep. yep. And they were fully Sikh by through blood. Mm-hmm. But cult- culturally, they were 100% Argentinian. So mm-hmm. if a Sikh From Argentina, came to Punjab today, he'd be 100% alien, can't speak the language, don't don't understand the culture and everything. So there's no common binding thread between us, even though we are from the same heritage.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And exactly the same thing are going to happen in the next few decades uh, all over the world, wherever we are. Imagine Mm -hmm. if your daughter decides to marry, let's say, a Mexican, Okay, yep, and uh, your grandchildren are going to identify as what as Mexican or as Sikhs or Punjabi mm. because which is the dominant culture? Is the Mexican if, if 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 my daughter decides to marry, let's say, a white guy in America, let's say, mm. their children are going to be mixed race, so yep. if they are passing white, they will be absorbed into the white culture.
0: Mm.
1: If they are not, they might decide to have their own identity because the, the mixed-race people are a grow, growing, growing demographic. Yeah. Yep. So in both cases, in your cases, in my cases, our heritage is gone.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, if a girl or a boy born in a Western country today decides to marry Outside Sikhi, the there's nothing we can do. We should give them freedom. It's their own life. Up to you. But are you willing to destroy your own heritage for a comfortable life? That's the question.
0: One aspect here which needs discussing is now <clears throat> since Sikhs have settled abroad, interracial marriages have increased. And I have no problem with interracial and other cottages as long as the couple are both Sikh right? Yep. We had a couple on here last week, which were practicing Sikh. He's an Afro-American Amritari. She's a Punjabi Amritari, raised in the USA. And I inquired from them this very question that you know, interfaith, interracial marriages, they cause a lot of friction. And I guess what I understood from them was that prior to getting married everyone needs to sit down especially the couple who are getting married and have that cold-hearted conversation with themselves that very soon in the future there will be a point when i'll be looking at the person who i've married and asking myself why did i marry you (laughs) what will you say then when it turns out that your children are conflicted between which faith to follow and which faith not to follow because that will sort of initiate a competition between both the mother and the father to pull the kids towards their own fate. And it's easy now for people to say, we we're in love and listen to some Bollywood songs, blah, 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 love is pure, love is divine. And it's gotten worse to the degree that, you know, I recently saw a love story in which they actually say, kalanka, chow, you know, a young couple in love, we want to play the game of love. <laughs> Blah blah blah, misappropriate Guru Nanak Dev's shabad. Anyhow, all is said and done. There's gonna be a period when that love's gonna wear off, and that's when your children will be conflicted between who I really am.
1: Well, uh, interesting point, and of course, it's true. The conflict will start the very day you decide to name your child.
0: Hmm.
2: Hmm.
1: What are you going to name your your kid, Robert Singh, <laughs> Jonathan Singh, Michael Singh? What What are you going to name your kid?
0: William John Bill Singh.
1: <laughs> yeah, it 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 could be as st- <laughs> well. There are <laughs> a, quite a few people who are actually born in Punjab and everything, and their names are totally Western, and uh, it makes me laugh. So. You remind me of that. Mm. The kid's name was Winner
0: Oh my goodness!
1: <laughs> I can actually send you a Facebook screenshot of, of 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 that person. It's a it's a real
0: name. Yep, yep no, I agree. I agree. I've seen those types of names.
1: <laughs> and uh, you can only only imagine that your your parent or whosoever named you must really hate you. <laughs> so every single day you have to focus on winning because my name is winner.
0: Yep. There is an interesting tale in the Shri Gur Soba. It's written by a contemporary poet of Guru Gobind Singh Ji Kavi Sena. But at the end, it runs that uh, Guru Gobind Singh Ji has announced that I'm performing the Khalsa as per Guru Nanak Dev's ideals. And the Qataris in Delhi have a problem with this and they rush to the Guru and the matter is resolved and the Guru says, yes, I've told my Sikhs to keep their cash in reflection of Guru Nanak Dev's, you know, Gurbani. And someone comes and asks, well, Guruji, what about the Minas? The people who oppose Sikhi. We work in the marketplace. Are we allowed to do business with them? And the Guru says that your faith should be strong enough to keep you rooted in Sikhi. Be polite to them, you know. If there's no conflict, don't cause conflict with them. But do not concede your beliefs just to coexist with them, because then that's them trying to impose on you. They are equally tolerating you, you equally tolerate them. But if they try imposing upon you by saying, well, your beliefs are like this, we find this offensive, you need to reply back to defend your beliefs. And... There is a very pertinent Shabad by Bhakt Surdas Now, there were two Surdasas historically. There was the Surdas who was the poet, the devotee of Krishna who was blind. Now, this is not the Surdas we are talking about in Gurbani. The Surdas in Gurbani is quite different. He's not a well-known Surdas. So when Guru Arjan Dev Ji added his Bani to the Guru Granth Sahib, what the Guru did was that he didn't actually... Uh, mention him in the, you know, the opening stanza, as in, you know, parmanand bani, Ravidas bani. He didn't name him like that. He just attached his verse to uh right at the end. Or it might be that this one verse was attached there anyway by, you know, loyalists or followers of or Surdas because they explore the same concept. Anyhow, this verse is found on Anger 1253. Now, multiculturalism is not something that's going to go away overnight, is it? And it shouldn't. If it entails coexistence and tolerance, it should be encouraged.
1: To what extent? I'll give you one example. In America, the biggest, the largest heritage group is German-Americans. But... uh, if if you go to a German American family today, they won't be able to speak German at all. There used to be a a dialect called Texas German because in that part of the country there were a lot of Germans, and uh, it's it's slowly dying out. And only all people speak it. Speak it, and they're trying to preserve it by using audio and visual uh, aids. In the name of multiculturalism, they totally lost their own heritage. That's my point.
2: Well, so what the guru is essentially saying is that your own faith needs to be strong and if your faith is strong we can raise a future generation to be strong as well but how strong are we well then you have to contend to the point that we were in our own own homeland we were not in a foreign country where the culture was to completely, completely different but I guess from Guru Arjan Dev Ji's perspective, it, as he said that faith is within you, it really depends on how much of a sacrifice you're willing to make, how much of a fight you're willing to put up. And then you have to ask this, this question that how serious art today seeks about our own faith? That's the thing. That's where it actually comes down to. How much are yeah, you willing yeah. to concede? How much are you willing to accept? And uh, I've personally seen so young Sikh girls wearing karas and everything, just smoking on treats or somewhere in the, in the clubs and everything. mm mm-hmm. so same with males. Oh, well, well, males are more common, but uh, I mentioned females because this thing has spread that much. Now, they are Sikhs in name only. Do you really expect them to understand Sikhs and he keep their own heritage? Mm. And I guess this is where a lot of dynamics come into play, what's happening in Gurdwaras, what's happening in families. There is nothing which philosophically unites us now, is there? No. Sadly, no. We had the Guru Granth Sahib. Guru Gobind Singh Ji was aware that, you know, after he died, the lives of the Gurus would be altered. Quite a lot would be brought in in their names to derail Sikhi. But what he did was he gave Guruship to Guru Granth Sahib unfortunately we have allowed the meanings to be corrupted and now it's more, even more essential to learn Gurmukhi because I feel in Gurmukhi to read Guru, Gurbani we can see where the English simplifications are deliberately twisted to mean something else and I've recently heard that now there is an organization in America who wants to uh create a translation of Gurbani but one which they claim will be homosexual friendly Now, I have nothing against homosexuals.
0: I'm not homophobic, but I do not agree that homosexuals can have an Anandakaraj. Because Anandakaraj and the relationship in Gurbani is fundamentally between a man and a woman. That is the purpose of the lava, even though they might not explicitly state that this is between a man and a woman. And if someone says, well, wait a second, it's about the uniting of souls, well, then, I mean,
2: are we going to tolerate bestiality as well one day because animals have souls and so do they? Anyhow. Well, to well, make- uh, yes. I was just mentioning the, about this, this thing that Sikhi has been uh, presented as a leftist belief system in the West. It has been cannibalized. Cannibalized, yes. And to an extent that, that, uh, to, okay, this is going to be another point of mind that might be a controversial but there's yeah. a deep-rooted, deep-rooted hatred for white people in our minds. So mm. anything that, that goes against that main culture, we will accept it. Mm. Mm-hmm. A- and that is true, and uh, well, unfortunately I've just witnessed it many times. And uh, if 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 you speak eloquently and uh, if you if you try to be a bit civilized, they will say Bala Gurabani Yep, yep. You, you you heard it, I've heard it and everything. Yep. So the fact is if you, if, they're, if they're trying to make it home or homo, or homosexual friendly, of course yep. you have to prove that it's it is anti homosexual You begin with. Yep. And how, what are we going to concede here? What are we going to change here to make it more homosexual friendly? We change one word. We change a whole definition down here. So, what's the sticky which will come out of this translation? Then we will have to, just like the Bible has been changed like 14 or 16 times, we'll have to change it to himself, and it's, it mm-hmm. has already been done. Mm-hmm. And then, then you have to say, okay, the times have changed, we need to change, we need to be more tolerant, blah, 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 and all those magic words, tolerance, diversity, multiculturalism, and everything. Even if there is no need to change it because we're already tolerant, it will still be imposed on us in the name of multiculturalism, a euphemism for concession. Yeah, and it will be imposed by your own children who are going to be totally uh trained uh in uh well in the schools and uni- universities which are one hundred percent liberal. yep and why why the concessions because we want to be I- acceptable to someone else yeah modern world uh, and uh and, and, okay well i'm again again did giving you, giving you the example of america because that's that, that's where the most of the data comes from yep you must have noticed that how Sikhs are pro illegal immigration because the vast majority of them did it the same way. Pretty much, pretty much. So they they don't even use the word illegal. They just say migrant. Hmm. So if if you're using your faith and say, well, we we are Sikhs, we accept everybody, so you. You're not going to use good to hide illegals in the future, are you? No, no. So, in case, let's say, in, in the next two, three, four decades, there's a civil war in the USA, and that, that might be a reality, unfortunately. Yep. Yeah. On whose side are Sikhs going to be, and how are they going to be treated by other factions? The Mexicans have no love for you. The blacks have no love for you. The Muslims have no love for you. The whites, naturally, will have no love for you. What are you going to do then? Organize a lunger in the middle of the battlefield? <laughs> and I possibly. Them, and I expect they don't shoot you? <laughs> so, the, big, the biggest uh, group in America, which uh, I think it lobbies for Latin Americans, is called La Raza, the, the race. And we are just bending our backs to say, please accept me. Please say a few good things about me. Please, please. Mm. There are some Sikh organizations fighting to have Sikhs accepted as Sikhs in the mainstream. Sikhs confirming with Sikhi. Uh, They are doing good work, but something I've seen is they're often prey to criticism by their own people. Well, you have to imagine that, uh some part of my my extended family in America. They are Republicans, and they are made made fun of that you are posing up with white right people. Mm. So it's just for having a different opinion, that you, you if you are a Sikh, you you you, you got to be a Democrat. Mm. Yeah, so we are we are business people. We are more concerned about a, a high, higher taxes and regulations. We are Republicans now you're just closing up the white people. Mm. So, yeah. So, these are many, many issues that come under, under the umbrella term of multiculturalism. We have discussed mm. the laws of heritage. We have discussed the laws of faith. Right? We have discussed uh, marriages, and we have also discussed that uh, what the children are going to identify as children of mixed marriages. Yep. I guess to rephrase that, Shabad by path, which Guru Arjan Dev Ji is replying to that you need to have strong faith. The Gurus pretty much have already said from the start, mengi yari Nanak that the way oh, cool. of Nanak, the way of Nanak, is finer than the hair, sharper than the blade, and that's why Guru Nanak Dev Ji said that to walk in my path, you need to bring your head on your palm. And if we are going to call ourselves Sikhs, this is a new battle we need to fight. How to save ourselves from multiculturalism disguised to impose concession upon us. I'll ask you another question. Yep. And uh, you were talking about uh, Israel and Jewish people. Yep. You are only a Jew if your mother is a Jew. Okay. That's the Jewish law. Mm. Your father could be anybody, could be a Muslim, could be a Hindu, could be a Christian, could be anything. As long as your mother is Jewish, you are Jewish. Mm. Do we need something similar to that? I believe we actually do. I actually believe we do, because given patriarchy, we also have Punjabi culturalism seeping into Sikhi and eroding Sikh fundamentals and Sikh values and maybe it's high time that we actually start reassessing
0: okay, we know that, mm-hmm. that accepted Maria dan Gurbani who is a Sikh but when it comes to heritage we really need to start preserving that
2: lineage and to do that we might need to reconsider that if your father is a Sikh you aren't a Sikh, but if your mother is a Sikh yes, you can be deemed a Sikh as long as you want to practice the faith. Well, that is something we need to discuss and nobody has so far. Mm. And that is, that is a discussion for the future, but I guess our main role is that, you know, two people can only discuss this. We can't really implement it. And there are going to be pitfalls in this theory as well. But if someone in the future wants to do it, then they can sit down and form a plan. We have planted the seed that tree is someone else's responsibility. Yeah, but there's a big possibility that your you seaweed will never sprout because of the prevailing yeah. condition. That's the risk we have to take, I guess. That's the risk we have to take. Guru Nanak Dev took a risk by planting Sikhi, so we already have the tree of Sikhi, the roots of Sikhi to reinforce us. So, if yeah. not that, then we can try something else altogether, that if uh, the mother thing doesn't work out, we can try something else. Maybe go to the grandmother. Maybe trace the lineage back somehow. Okay. Uh, another question. Yep. In in the year 1947, uh, there were quite a few cases where Sikhs were forced forced to convert to Islam in Pakistan. Yeah. Now they identify as Muslims and live in Pakistan. Yeah. everything. everything, Yeah. Yep. Yep. So if one of one of those people were to let's say immigrate to America, let's say. Hmm. And that person says, okay, my ancestors were Sikh, so they were forced to convert. Now I want to become a Sikh again. Hmm. And let's say he marries a Sikh girl, let's say. Yep. Maybe, maybe, depending on what the dominant culture is, the, their children might still identify as Muslim. If he wants to be a Sikh, and his wife is a Sikh, then it's fundamentally a duty on them, their duty to raise the children as Sikh, rather than the faith he was, you know, born in I guess, or his ancestors were forced to convert to. The reason why I raised this question is because uh, uh, it relates to ISIS. Okay second-generation, third-generation Muslims who were born, even their grandparents were born in the UK and in European countries, they went to Syria to fight for an Islamic State. I guess it really comes down to is what culture they're being exposed to and how that culture is being interpreted, what they're being exposed to. And this is something really which is that battleground which the you know promoters of multiculturalism ignore. Not all values are the same, not all values can be equal. Yes, as long as they peacefully coexist, there is no friction. The day there is friction, the day there will be questions raised on the the validity of what you believe in. And you have to make it very clear that some cultures are superior to others and some cultures simply do not belong in under sensual. And that's the thing. Superiority, I guess, when you say superior, means which are more relevant and able to progress in the 21st century. And then there are cultures which do not accept technological advances and, uh, I guess, capitalism, claiming it to be materialism. But that just goes to show how much they fear their own hold as being weakened in front of progress. But Sikhs shouldn't have this fear because Sikhi does emphasize human progress. But as long as that progress respects personal boundaries. Okay. Uh, I'll ask you another question. I I think, uh, they should amalgamate a lot of our points. Yep. Increasingly, increasingly, the world is becoming non-religious. Hmm. Let's say we exclude the Muslim world because there isn't much data available because of the faith is punishable by death, death penalty, and everything yet. Yep. So, in a culture, in an environment where faith is openly being mocked, are your children going to be comfortable wearing turbans? (laughs) Well, that really depends on how strong a belief we seed into them and how strong their own convictions are how much are you going to shield them or keep them isolated from the mainstream culture and that is essentially where we need to look at the example of guru govin singh when he could shield them he shielded his children but he also made them independent alongside to take their own personal uh, make their own personal choices and that's what they did and essentially it reflected on him being a father who gave them strong values and that's where we need to sit down and think how we can be strong value-givers, strong parents, to our own children. Well, these are the points that need to be discussed, and this is a discussion forward that would continue for days, if not weeks. Mm. But this is also a discussion which needs to be done between couples, between fiancés, and between people who are going to marry each other. Unfortunately, we have no counselling services for interfaith marriages that, you know, what faith will your children be at? And, you know, these services should also exist for Sikh couples as well. This is what we are confronting in the 21st century. What are you going to do about it? There is no answer. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay, then until next time. <laughs> <laughs>